Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, so when I uh, was first hired here as a youth pastor, I remember the kids and the youth telling me about this one time that, uh, that we had to have church on Sunday uh, back when they were younger. And uh, they just talked about how the assistant, the preacher, the regular preacher didn't preach that morning because he was gone with his family, but the assistant preached, and he preached for like 40 or 50 minutes or something, and everybody was miserable. And I've thought about that almost every day since the, the youth told me that. Um, and so I'm going to do the same thing this morning. Uh, I'm not going to do the same thing. Um, you know, when it comes to Christmas, uh, when it comes to the arrival of our hero, uh, the, the one who would come and to take our sin upon himself uh, so that we could know forgiveness uh, and, and so that we could know that there's no condemnation, uh, so that we could know that we have the smile of our Heavenly Father. It, it's really important to note how Matthew in his gospel introduces us to, to Jesus. Because Matthew wants us to see that like, this isn't just some old story. Th- this isn't wishful thinking where we say, oh, that it were true. Now, Matthew didn't begin his gospel like a myth or a legend. Uh, He didn't start with, listen, my children, and you shall hear. Uh, He didn't start with once upon a time. He didn't even say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, when Matthew began to tell the story of Jesus, he, he grounds it the grand sovereign redemption plan of God in time, space, and history. And remember, Matthew was a tax collector, right? He was an accountant, a numbers guy. And so true to form, he began his gospel by pulling up Ancestry.com. And I I know for some of, of, you know, genealogies sound very boring. And you may think, I am insane uh, preaching from this on Christmas morning and... um, you know, why can't, why can't we just kind of get to the good part, the, you know, the angels and Mary and the Magi? But Matthew wants to see that this too is the good part, that this is Matthew really trying to make an attempt to go after the jugular. And so that, that Christmas isn't only a celebration of the arrival of our hero, but it's also an opportunity to acknowledge, to just pause and acknowledge God's covenant faithfulness from the very beginning and to marvel at his grace towards sinners like me and like you. Because every person in this genealogy would join us in singing, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? So with that, uh, let's read God's word, and then we'll dive in. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac and father of Jacob, and Jacob the father and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sealtiel, and Sealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zaduk, and Zaduk the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ. 14 generations. This is God's word. Well, as my brain recovers, um, let's pray. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, May you lay it deep in our hearts this morning. Uh, May just this brief time that we're about to have, uh, may your spirit come like a, a deep plow. Uh, and just plow into our hearts. Uh, may the seeds of the gospel message fall uh, so that at some point it will come to fruition, that it will grow. Uh, Lord, thank you for Christmas. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, before Christmas, I mean, this is so cliche to say, but, but before Christmas is a day of presents and food and family, um, which are all wonderful things, Christmas is first a declaration that we need saving. And so 2,000 years ago, uh, our Savior, our our way back to the Father came. Um, That's what this is all about. It's the angel's announcement. It's unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And so Matthew begins by declaring that this message of reconciliation is not just a theory and it's not just this kind of philosophical construct, but this with real historical names and places attached. And so this genealogy is Matthew's attempt to bring a bottle of Gorilla Glue to just stick the gospel all up in our hearts. So here's what I mean. If Christmas highlights anything, it highlights the fact that God's promises cannot be stopped. So Matthew, he begins this long genealogy by bringing out the big guns. He mentions Abraham and David, right? And if you were a Hebrew, anytime you hear Abraham or David, and that's the dynamic duo, you, you perked up. Because the only way you got out of bed in the morning, and the only way that you had any degree of, well, ability to, to move forward in life in your circumstances, was because of the promises that God made to Abraham and David. That one day there was going to be a descendant of Abraham, who was going to come and bring blessing and healing to the nations. That, that one day, a descendant of David was going to sit on the throne, and he was going to be king forever, and he was going to lead and protect his people perfectly. And here's Matthew saying, 
the fulfillment of those promises has come in Jesus, uh, which is, is mind-blowing because talk about nothing being impossible for God. Look at, look at this list. Look at who these promises came through. And because we know that family histories are, are messy, right? Uh, I grew up, just, I knew um, somewhat, I guess, kind of prideful in the Owens family name. It was something to be proud of. We had good reputation. We were honorable for the most part. All those good things, right? But then, uh, you know, a quick dive down the genealogy kind of lays all that to rest. Because of the fall, we're all crooked. We all have crooked souls, and we all come from pretty crooked family trees. And yet, when we look at this, we find hope because if God can work through this crooked of a family, He can work through ours, can He? He can work through you. So just think about it again Abraham, the Alpha, the patriarch of patriarchs, he wasn't always like that. Uh, he was an Iraqi pagan worshiping the moon, as lost as he could be. And it wasn't until God intervened and God called him and saved him and brought him out that he became Father Abraham. And though we talk about his faith, you know, if you read Genesis, there are many ways Abraham and Sarah doubted God, and they took matters into their own hands, wanting God to work in their time. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You know, really the whole story of Abraham is one of tremendous failure. And yet in his failure, we see God graciously keeping, God's the keeper of the promise. You know, Isaac's marriage and family was a train wreck. Um, Jacob was a hustler and a cheat. Uh, Wednesday night, we spent a long time on Jacob, didn't we? I mean, if you genuine, like, genuinely read Genesis and the Jacob narrative, uh, you are struck by one big reality. And it's if, if God can love and seek and work through a low-down, good-for-nothing person like Jacob, then he can love and seek and work through anybody. Which is the point, you know, God refers to himself as the God of Jacob, which means if he can be the God of Jacob, he can be your God. You know, our biggest failures do not derail God. And then there's Judah, you know, the, the tribe of Judah, that would be the line of the Savior. And yet Judah, if Judah were alive today, uh, he would be canceled for sure, right? Yet despite his failings and the Tamar incident, God used him like that to bring about Christmas. Then usually genealogies in the ancient Near East, you know, they typically only trace the fathers, uh, never mention women. And so to the original readers, uh, there were four names in this genealogy that would kind of stick out like a sore thumb to them. And so God is saying, look, I don't want you to, I don't just work through men, but my promise has been carried through and by women as well. Um, and so we ask, well, who? Well, who are the women that God worked through in the Bible? Surely they're like Mother Teresa. Surely they are Johnny Erickson Tata. Surely. But no. Who is it that God works through? God works through Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and, well, the fifth Mary. You know, these ladies, I mean, Bathsheba, her, her sin was so messy that, that Jews didn't even like to say her name. They just called her the wife of Uriah. They even refused to call her David's wife. But all these women have at least two things in common. You know, the first is that all these women are outsiders. You realize that Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Bathsheba was a Hittite and Ruth was a Moabite. And, and yet, we see even in the Old Testament, 
that God included them, reminding us that we, we cannot be too far gone. We cannot be too far outside of, of God's promises that he can't rescue us. And then there's, they have a second thing in common. Uh, none of them, like, these aren't Martha Stewart's. Like, none of them had it together. Tamar, you know, pretended to be a prostitute to have a child with her father-in-law. Uh, Rahab ran an, an inn of ill repute. Like, you know, there's a reason why she was so skilled at hiding men, right? Because she'd probably done it countless times before. Ruth, was a, again, was a Moabite, and Jews despise Moabites because if you read in Genesis, you find that there was this systemic organized racism against them because that whole race was a, was a product of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his own daughters. So Ruth had a lot against her. She was, a, she was destitute. She was a widow. Uh, she came from a despised race, and she came with her own built-in mother-in-law. And yet God would see fit to bring her into the family tree. And, and no matter how many marks she had against her, she would be the grandmother of David. And of course, Bathsheba, we know her sin. She brought ruin into David's household. Of course, David, David committed adultery. Uh, he murdered one of his best friends in Uriah, one of his fellow cave dwellers. And classic pol political move, he, he lied to the, his whole country to cover it up. So I, I didn't do it. <laughs> So the shame and the pain that Bathsheba experienced because of that sin never left her. And yet it was there that God's promises still shine through. And look, we can learn so much from this because they didn't have the luxury of seeing what we see. And can you imagine being Abraham and Sarah? Can you imagine being in that situation and trying to have a baby for 17 years? And yet month after month after month, this, this, nothing happens. And from their perspective, and often our perspective when we're in it, it's like, God, where are you? Like, God's not doing anything. Because we want, we, want our, we want his promises our way and our time and preferably kind of now. And yet if we pull back and we see God working through these generations, we see that, that though what we think is impossible, God says, you don't know the first thing about how impossible it is. Yet I'm faithful to the promise. So Westminster and friends, in this genealogy, we see that though God doesn't tolerate sin, he's not paralyzed by it either. You know, your sin, my sin, failings, does not disqualify us from Jesus. Rather, it's what does qualify us. We see that God delights in raising up sinners and fools even and calling them family. You know, in, in him, we are the people of second chances. You know, can we say Hugh Freeze, right? Like Auburn, Auburn gets it, right? We get the gospel over there at Auburn. Like we're the people of second chances. And like Bathsheba, Y'all, please hear this. Really, it really like David, even our past sins that own us, because living in small towns, you can do something like when you were in like ninth grade and like you were forever known as what you did in the ninth grade. Um, not even that can stop God's promises and his work in your life. We see the gospel here that though we are great sinners, we have an even greater Savior. You know, these people in the Old Testament were, were known as sinners. And yet, as you see, as God continues to work in their life, all of a sudden something happens and they go from sinner to saint 
that God's grace transforms all of these individuals. As Sinclair Ferguson said, there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in our hearts. In Romans 5, Paul says, where sin increases, grace super increases. And you know that friend, I guess we all have that friend or friends who in, you know, uh, during conversations or at dinner parties, um, wherever, they, they always have to one-up you or one-up everybody else. They always have the better story, right? Well, God's grace always one-ups our sin, always. And, and Westminster, my story, like, like your pastor's story, and dare I say your story, our story, is one of sin abounding. And yet Christmas marks the arrival of grace that is greater than all of our sin. So Matthew begins with a genealogy because right out of the gate, he wants us to be bowled over by how God's grace has worked and and molded all these lives. Um, So I have a cousin who lives in Birmingham who who recently got back into golf. And... um, and so he was so excited, he, one night he told me that he found a golf club in Birmingham that would allow him to be a member. He was so excited. Um, and, and I can say, because he doesn't, nope, my family doesn't listen to my sermon, so I can talk about it as, basically as much as I want. But um, I just remember thinking, when he told me that, I remember thinking, man, man if that golf club will let, will let him in, they'll let anybody in, you know. Well, that's what we see here, right? If, if these people, like this list here, if these people can be a part of Jesus' story, you know what? Then so can you. So can you, no matter how unworthy or marginalized you feel. Like, that's, like Jesus did not come to this earth to make you feel just extra crappy. Now, there's conviction that happens, right? But, but Jesus came to save sinners. Like he came to bring you back home, back to the Father into his family, and he died so that you could. All right. But that's not all. Finally, Matthew, in this genealogy, he's using some of his accounting skills, and I think we've, we've been through this before, but it's good to be reminded. Um, verse 17. And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon, Christ, 14 generations. It's almost like a throwaway verse, right? But remember, Matthew is an accountant, and so he thinks differently, right? And so this is him being very clever. Um, This is an intentional highlight of the whole passage. Um, Hebrew people, they thought in, in cycles. They thought in numbers, in rhythms, and they considered, you know, of course, seven was the perfect number. That was the, the Sabbath day. It was the day of rest and gladness, and, and it was just complete. And so in the Old Testament, every seventh cycle of seven years, or every 49 years, there was this really special thing called Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. And during Jubilee, people who were enslaved were set free, and people who were in debt, drowning up to their eyeballs in debt, they were forgiven their debts. They said that even the ground rested. Farmers didn't even plant their fields for one year. Even the fields rested. They lay fallow. It was a, a total restoration and rest. The people made whole. Okay. Well, all right. Three groups of 14 is the same. Divided by two is the same as six groups of seven. And Matthew, which is by far the most Jewish of the Gospels and technical of the Gospels, 
But most scholars argue that Matthew is trying to tell us that Jesus, like the arrival of Jesus, he is the seventh seven. Or in other words, Jesus is the eternal jubilee. Jesus came to set captives free. and He died to forgive and cleanse our debt, our sin. And then what did he say? Jesus came and he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't, isn't that what you want? And not just for Christmas, but, but like for every day. Freedom. Forgiveness and deep soul rest. Well, Westminster and, and friends, that's what Christmas is about. It's about God and sinner reconciled. Uh, in Jesus, the, the theme of Christmas can now be the theme of our lives, and it's what we're about to get a chance to sing in Joy to the World. It's no more let sins and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the promise and thank you that you are a God who, who loves us with a steadfast uh, never letting go, never stopping, always and forever pursuing type of love. Um, Lord, thank you for the fact that if you can work through sinners like Tamar and Abraham and Jacob, um, you can work through us too. Uh, so Father, um, thank you uh, that in Jesus uh, you no longer call us sinners, but you call us sons and daughters. Uh, may we delight in that today, even as we go and spend time with family, uh, as we maybe open presents, uh, as we just enjoy the holiday. Uh, Lord, may we enjoy it uh, in Christ, restfully and joyfully. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.